Hello, this is Alex Mosed, and welcome to Winner Take All, where we talk about the constant battle between large tech monopolies and traditional incumbents. So we're going to get to TikTok last today, because uh, every day that thing just keeps changing. It's a moving target. And the first topic is on the what I'm calling the Yay Combinator. Uh, basically what this is, is Kanye released a series of tweets. When I spoke to Katie Jacobs, who's on the board of Vivendi, we decided to create a Y Combinator for the music industry so that artists have the power and transparency to be in control of their future. No more shady contracts, no more lifelong deals. A few tweets here. A few tweets here. Y Combinator started companies like Dropbox, Airbnb. For the first time, it cleaned up contracts and made venture capital transparent. Um, if you don't know, really what Y Combinator introduced was this thing called the SAFE Agreement. It's basically a what has now become a, a somewhat standardized convertible note structure uh, for investors to invest You know, in early stage startups where the uh, valuation is not as easily definable. Um, so you're investing as do as debt that can convert in you know it's a note it's debt that can convert into equity. Um, and actually, it gives a lot of power to the startup. So if you're a startup in Y Combinator, you have a lot of leverage over investors in terms of governance and board seats and these kinds of things. So the safe agreement has actually been spreading rampantly to a lot of different startups and it's actually become a little bit of a problem, a little bit untenable um, for investors to be able to push back against the structure and put more governance or more structure. These are early stage businesses. So, you know, where the safe agreement was designed for Y Combinator companies, frankly, not every startup is a, is a Y Combinator caliber business and actually needs more governance and, and could actually benefit the business to have more governance. So you've actually seen the safe agreement, I would argue, become too widely popular amongst early stage startups, like seed stage startups, right? Very early stage businesses. Uh, and now you're taking a multi-million dollar check from investors and they have little to no uh, governance over that investment. Kind of uh, worrying. Um, anyway, I digress. So Y Combinator here, it empowered startups with the tools to succeed and grow their business. It changed the Silicon Valley game, according to Kanye. Contracts in all industries need to be simplified now. Complicated contracts are how businesses, music companies, and sports take advantage of talent. We will expose these contracts and make them transparent now uh, to support new talent startups and amend old contracts. Lots of very valid points from this. The music industry, as we've spoken about, believe it or not, is actually widely consolidated. It is not fragmented, despite there being millions and millions of artists. And you know, every day there's a new artist. Um, and still somehow there are basically four companies, the, the, the consolidated, uh, record label, music label companies that, you know, when Spotify does deals, um, they're basically negotiating with one entity, the RIAA, the record industry association or something like that. Um, which basically negotiates on behalf of the four major record, record labels. It's a thing of beauty. Well done, uh, by the by the music uh, business companies, the record companies. Um, but again, it, it, to Kanye's point, it does take the leverage away from the artists and put it into the hands of the record labels 
And it also puts companies like Spotify in a precarious position. And that's why Spotify's margins. And, you know, we've talked about them wanting to shift more to the podcast uh, community, which is fragmented. There aren't big record labels uh, owning up all those uh, podcast people like Joe Rogan. Spotify is having issues with Joe Rogan, apparently, um, which, which I'm going to touch on in a little bit here. But anyway, I think point well taken you know, how could you bring more fragmentation? How could you break the stranglehold uh, in the music industry to enable artists and up and coming bands and groups to have more control um, over, you know, what they're signing for how long, what exclusivity, what rights, right? I mean, they have very little leverage because it's such a winner take all industry. Uh, it's a well, not winner take all. Sorry, it's a, such a hit driven industry, right? You you either make it and and it's a point zero zero one percent of artists, and then everyone else is kind of floundering um, until you break out. Um, that that it is that that these artists, you know, just don't have much capital or leverage uh, with with your typical record label. So a lot of the power is in their hands. So be curious to see how an accelerator model could help take, you know, the cream of the crop of up and coming artists uh, and maybe change that. We'll see, but I'd be curious to see if, if, if Kanye can get a traction here, if he, he's got to stick with it though, but could be something there. So uh, next topic is, so I had uh, Benedict Evans on the show. Um, Last week, uh, it was a great interview with Benedict. Guy is brilliant, extremely sharp. We talked about a whole slew of topics from um, the, of course, you know, TikTok and ARM deal to Netflix, our favorite Netflix. Uh, we we see eye to eye a lot on, on many topics, Netflix included. Uh, the state of media, protectionism, regulation, just uh, geopolitical and tech and just all these kinds of things. And so there's one part of it where, where we were talking about the role of tech protectionism and particularly as it comes to TikTok ban and, and these kinds of things. Um, and, uh, and, and I didn't want to push too much further, but this was one part of, of, of that interview which stuck with me, which I wanted to revisit. Isn't that basically what's happened to U.S. companies operate, wanting to operate in China for the past 20, 30 years? Well, no, it's happened to a tiny subset of U.S. companies in China. I mean, you could name them on the fingers of one hand. I mean, I mean tech companies or, you know, yeah, yeah, larger software like, companies. You know, I think I could, you could name like maybe three or maybe four U.S. companies that can't operate in China on that basis. So, and, and, I, and either way, I mean, I don't think, um, you know, there's an old line about protectionism that just because somebody else puts a box in their harbor, that doesn't mean that you should put a box in yours. You know, clearly there's a bargaining position in there, but, you know, you're not going to bargain China into turning off censorship of the Internet. So, you know, that's <laughs> that's not a totally productive position. It did strike me, as I'm sure for other people that were listening, you say, oh, three or four tech companies. Is it really three or four tech companies that have, that have been banned from? working in China. Is that real? Uh, you know, so I decided to look into this, right? So here are all the great major uh, U.S. tech companies uh, blocked by China's Great Firewall. Here's my list. Okay, Facebook, Google, Twitter, Snapchat. That's four. Now we're at five. Reddit, Tumblr, Pinterest, eight, Slack, nine, Twitch, ten, 
Discord, 11. Dropbox, 12. Quora, 13. Medium, 14. Wikipedia, 15. Mm, not surprised on that one. Vimeo, 16. Flickr, 17. Oh, and Flickr, is that still around? Uh, SoundCloud, 18. DuckDuckGo, uh, 19 now. Daily Motion. I think this is a oh video sharing site. Yeah. 20. That's 20. I got another list here. Top 100 plus websites blocked in China. And this one does a nice job. It buckets them into social websites and apps. Um, so you can see, you know, some of the ones that I was just listening, any, any content platform, any social network, right? Any social network where people are just going to communicate freely and, and communicate with each other and share ideas openly, or somewhat openly these days. Bam. Okay. Those are definitely not allowed. Blogging websites and platforms like uh, they don't have medium on here, but they've got blogger and WordPress. And so um, another form of, you know, uh, content creation and expression Email, Gmail, I'm sure, you know, Yahoo too, Yahoo and um, search engines. Interesting why, why Baidu would be on this list. That seems a little odd. Maybe it's because it needs to be, that's Baidu.com. Maybe it needs to be, you know, Baidu.cn. I don't know. Um, messaging apps, WhatsApp, right? We're talking about, oh, well, uh, we can't ban WeChat because now no one's going to be able to communicate into China. This is the reason why no one is able to communicate into China. It's because China bans all of the messaging apps. It's not because the United States and India are looking at banning WeChat. It, it, it's not. It, it's the other way around. Yet everyone in the media wants to say, oh, we can't ban WeChat. Oh, then we can't communicate with China. No, it's not the US's fault. It's China's fault because they ban all the apps. Streaming apps and websites. Here you go. Here's the... Another whole list, news websites, of course, and these are a bunch of linear, you know, these are just, you know, traditional media. Cloud storage. This was interesting. I hadn't necessarily thought about this right away, but um, you got Dropbox, you got Box on here, you got, you know, a bunch of cloud storage ones. I'm sure Snowflake is banned, uh, which we're going to talk about later. Yeah. And then you've got Quora and GitHub and, you know, just kind of an other category of a bunch of other things here. Point is, it's hundreds of, of, of U.S. tech companies that have been banned. Anything that has free expression or just content that, that the CCP doesn't want people to uh, digest, it gets banned. It's very counter to this notion that it's just a handful of U.S. tech companies. No, U.S. tech companies and probably, you know, and, and not just U.S., but just many international or just foreign tech companies are just wholesale banned from operating in China. Now you've got the list to prove it. And, you know, we just clearly from a trade and a reciprocity standpoint, we just don't have parity where there's one rule, one set of rules to operate in China, which is basically you can't operate in China uh, if you're a tech company of, of any material substance that can't be controlled or monitored by, by the CCP. And then now, if you're the United States, then, you know, until basically the past few years, uh, maybe starting with, with, with the CFIUS uh, strike down of Grindr, but now certainly in the past few months, more specifically with the WeChat, WeChat and TikTok ban, we are now starting to see a shift um, in our, uh, you know, foreign policy as it relates to technology and, and, and Chinese technology companies operating in China. And I made this point in the interview, which is 
everyone likes to just lump, well, how are foreign tech companies going to operate in the United States? What are those holistic rules? And, and this isn't really about foreign tech companies. This is really about Chinese tech companies. Um, and China has the largest uh, tech community outside of the United States. And um, there's very clear issues around national security and all these things, but also just fair fair trade and reciprocity. Can our companies go operate there? And can their companies operate here? Why would you allow a double standard? Right? I think that's a lot of the crux of this. We we talk about it in depth with with Benedict, and I think it's a really great session back and forth. I, I think you should all go listen to it. We're seeing this clearly happen. And I'm going to talk more about TikTok later today, but um, it's... Uh, it's interesting around this rhetoric from tech companies and the role of the U.S. as kind of being uh, an evildoer, right? And, and why is that? I've spoken about that on the show, especially these large tech monopolies. So that's, that's the next topic here, which is interesting uh, with Snowflake. If you don't know what Snowflake is, I'll give you a little bit of primer here. This is their website. It's the cloud data platform. Just think of it as aggregating all of your different data, helping you to analyze it, put business tools and intelligence tools on top of it. Nice little graphic here. Uh, you know, it's just pooling together all one platform, one copy of data, many workloads, permissioning, all, all these apps on top. You know, you say, okay, well, where does AWS and, and Google Cloud and all these things fit in? It sits on top of all of those. Uh, you got Google Cloud, AWS, Azure, all down here. And then they've got all their stuff on top, right? So it, it can take your stuff out of the cloud or it can kind of work across uh, all, a variety of these different cloud storage solutions. It can centralize that and then help you do a lot of other things with your data on top of that. Interestingly enough, they also have a data marketplace. Um, little little platform dynamic here. Um, haven't done the full scrub on them. Their platform revenue ratios probably aren't going to cut it as it relates to Plat, because I think this is probably a newer but growing part of their business. It's really a SaaS business primarily. Uh, but here you can go and buy third-party data sources from other business partners and and other you know data providers. So I thought that was you know they they are see here featured data sets, data sets for COVID research, bunch of different data providers. You can buy that stuff. Bloomberg has a similar model um, where you can buy kind of data and apps that plug into the Bloomberg terminal that that help analysts, um, you know, get different data sources at their fingertips. So kind of an interesting uh, marketplace type, they call them marketplace um, platform model here that they've got going. So what I thought was really interesting, though, from the Snowflake CEO, this guy's the man. There's this part of the interview which was so good. That, that I wanted us all to listen to. Frank, you're a true uh, American success story. If I have it right, you came here from the Netherlands in 1984, and now you're reportedly worth $1.8 billion. I know it's not something you watch, but a real success story here. Capitalism uh, is really under fire in this country. What are your thoughts on that? You know what? I'm, uh, I'm the biggest bull on this country uh, in every way. It pains me to, you know, to see uh, Americans, native-born ones, to be down uh, on this country. Most of my fellow immigrants think they have hit the lottery uh, being here. Um, I've lived it. Um, you know, I didn't speak English very well. It wasn't even my second language when I came here. I had 100 bucks in my pocket. Um, 
yeah, you, you, you don't get there by sitting back and waiting for things to happen to you. You got to get after it. That's, that's what this country is all about. But um, it's no surprise that so many people want to come here. You know, it's, that, that pretty much says it all. The guy's 100% right. He's 100% right and he's lived it. He came over here with $100 in 1984 from the Netherlands, you know, a serial entrepreneur and has, has, you know, run and taken multiple companies public. The video that we did about uh, <clears throat> Palantir CEO echoing similar comments, right, about just the role of uh, U.S. tech companies working with, um, say, uh, Department of Defense, the, you know, the, the U.S. military and and how is a problem that other of the large U.S. tech monopolies, uh, Google especially, you can call them out, um, but you know, it, it is a problem why they don't feel an allegiance, or rather, they feel like there's a problem to work with um, the you know the U.S. government agencies. And and it was interesting because with Benedict also too, when I was talking about tech protectionism and. And, you know, uh, did the EU mess up? Should the EU have done more tech protectionism in its early days? Kind of like what China did uh, to help to help breed and, and prevent U.S. tech monopolies from coming in and just uh, filling that void, filling that vacuum uh, and allowing your 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 VC community to to and, and your tech community to build. I'd say initially he may, you know, he had to think about it. And then eventually I think he came around to it and he said it was one of multiple things. Sure. Um, but tech protectionism. And as we've seen China play it out, I'd say it's worked really well for them. EU really didn't do it at all. U.S. companies are just about equally, if not in some cases, more dominant in Europe than they are in the United States. And... You know, you think about this stuff with TikTok, which we're going to get into. Trust me, we're going to get into the TikTok stuff. Um, but it's just really interesting when you think about these large U.S. tech monopolies. You know, do these tech monopolies really identify as U.S. companies anymore? Do they really just see themselves as like their own nation state? Benedict was making the point that, you know, every, every sovereign country, whether it's France or the U.K., they have the ability to regulate how... Um, you know, how a business operates in its respective country. Yet when, when the United States decides to take action against uh, WeChat and TikTok, somehow uh, we have become, you know, these horrible people. Why would we ever do such a thing? Um, and, you know, it just, it seems so obvious to me why you would do it. All the reasons I've just been laying out here. Yet at the same time, you know, when you have U.S. tech companies that, that don't want to work with the Department of Defense or the military, it's also fine. And, and there's real problems in this. And it goes back to what Frank's point here, which is that this country, the, the Constitution, the, the liberties, the rights that are afforded to us, which are being tread upon, by the way, which I'm going to touch on, um, which is not okay, um, enables us this sense of innovation and entrepreneurship and pursuing the American dream, this country is great. And we have a lot of things to be really proud of. And when you see these U.S. tech companies acting more like their own nation states that, that don't feel any allegiance uh, and don't feel any need you know, or think it wrong to work with, with the U.S. government, U.S. military, it's a serious issue. And it's really, you know, it's not appropriate. 
And it just seems like a lot of folks kind of turn the blind eye or, you know, don't make too much of a deal of it. Uh, but, you know, to me, it's, it's, it's actually a much deeper fundamental concern about why that would be the case. Now, for example, if it would be the case because we see uh, the NSA, the FBI, the CIA imposing upon citizens civil liberties, spying on citizens, um, overstepping their boundaries as it relates to what information they can procure about Americans and how they do it. We've covered this many times, whether it's Five Eyes or more recently what we've seen with the presidential campaign stuff. These um, these uh, intelligence agencies absolutely have gotten way too powerful. Their, um, their access uh, to data on American citizens has basically gone unchecked. And somehow they just know, they, they continue to be uh, expanding their power. That's not okay. But that's not the objection as to why U.S. tech companies don't want to work with the U.S. government, right? Um, instead, it's over these other, uh, you know, concerns about like morality or these kinds of things. And it, when you take a giant step back and you look at the role, of, again, to bring it full circle to TikTok, the Chinese government um, using tech companies, whether it's physical tech companies, Huawei, software tech companies, TikTok and WeChat and the like, to enforce, you know, their political opinion uh, and will both inside of China and outside of China. Um, <clears throat> this is the third leg of the stool for geopolitics. It, it is the economy. It is military. And the third leg of the stool is technology, whether both physical tech infrastructure and software. And, uh, for some reason, China understands this intimately, but the, but many People, maybe some people in the U.S. are now starting to wake up to this, but certainly, you know, it has not reached a certain level of either awareness in the public um, to recognize that certain, you know, that 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 behavior is really inappropriate, uh, and 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 the moral pretense that the lack of cooperation is uh, is not engaged in, right? Those reasons why they're not doing it don't add up. Um, and are in many cases just not well founded or or are not based in reality or what's going on. And instead, we need to see much closer co cooperation between US tech companies um, and the US uh, government and military resources and all these kinds of things. And this idea of being a patriot, of supporting your country, right? and And how these types of topics are now, potentially uh, like contrarian statements. So that's what I think Frank is getting at, Snowflake CEO. And, you know, we're attacking this from multiple sides on the show, this topic. It's not going away. Hopefully it starts to change for the better. I think these types of actions, TikTok, WeChat, et cetera, Huawei, are starting to build a movement, are starting to get people to wake up to what's really going on here um, and how the, look, the CCP is very smart. What China is doing is very smart. We've covered the 50 cent army. Uh, we've covered so many things that they're doing to advance their technology 
uh, businesses, both you know, uh, in China, in India, in 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 other markets, the U.S. They're very smart. Look at the look at the tech companies they're building in China. I mean, you can't underestimate them uh, as a competitor uh, and as a military force, and what they're doing with the data, and what they could do with the data, and the influence. We've seen them wield the influence before. We've seen them. Uh, take action on Hong Kong, both from a technology standpoint, economic and military standpoint. I don't know. It's just time for people to get smart and 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 uh, I think you know support this country. If this country has helped you build a career, build a business, all these kinds of things that has helped afford to uh, so many Americans, uh, immigrants like Frank, native-born individuals, and others. Um, there's a lot to really be thankful for, to be proud of, and to continue to work with U.S. government agencies um, with a caveat around using that technology to, to spy on American citizens. There are certain lines, but those, those were not the reasons, those were not the pretense used as to why these tech companies don't want to work with the U.S. government. It wasn't around civil liberties and, and protecting Americans' rights. Uh, that was not, you know, and has not really been the topic here. So we'll see where this goes. We'll see if some of these these nation states, these technology nation states, um, feel differently. Maybe some of the founder-led ones, um, where you still have, you know, you have left less of that kind of like external manager, you know, a Sundar, um, and you know, maybe a little bit with like a Zuckerberg. Um, but then again, you have Amazon, and Amazon really has not been a beacon for for this kind of cooperation either. But I would say, you know, Google probably being one of the worst. Um, anyway, we'll continue to to dig into this. Let's finally get to the to the last topic here, which is TikTok. So this is a moving ball. Uh, the TikTok stuff has been all over the place. The recent deal, I'm sure everyone is familiar with, is. Oracle takes 12.5%. Walmart takes 7.5%. 20%. The argument is that because American VC and institutional investors own roughly 40% of ByteDance, okay, and if ByteDance owns 80%, that's effectively a 32% ownership in TikTok. Following me? Right, so thirty-two percent plus the twenty says, "Oh well, look, TikTok is majority controlled by Americans." <sighs> I don't buy it. It's a nice loophole. It's a nice kind of optics, like oh, forty percent time, right? Point four times point eight is point three two plus point two, and now you're at point five two. You know, fifty-two percent ownership in TikTok. Ah, magic. Um, so it's a nice loophole. I think, you know, the problem with analyzing the TikTok situation is there really isn't a lot of information out there. You're kind of just getting your information, uh, through leaked, you know, leaked reports that many of times are not true. So here's what we do know. We do know those numbers. That's the proposal. We do know that they're proposing a five person board. Um, Walmart being one of the board members and 
Jong, the CEO of ByteDance, has one board seat. The other four board seats are from, you know, either Americans or American businesses uh, that are that are filling those four out of five board seats. Okay, that is some good level of governance, right? Um, they're saying they want to IPO, which means that you know there would be presumably more ownership, but you know that that could be any any public individual. We also know the Chinese government has restricted the export of AI and certain IP out of China. So I have two big questions here. And and a lot of this comes back to the national security concern. One is, is TikTok, if TikTok is spun out, are they now licensing this IP, this AI from ByteDance? It seems like that's the situation. So if TikTok is licensing this IP from ByteDance, so now TikTok US doesn't have access to the source code, right? Because they're licensing it. Why would you, why would you show your licensee um, the source code for the thing they're licensing? The answer is you wouldn't. You would give them, you know, uh, a program, an executable program, you know, a file that is going to be um, analyzing the data now stored in Oracle servers uh, in the United States. And then, but this program, this record, think about the recommendation engine, right? What goes onto my newsfeed? That program is going to be coming from source code in China, given, let's call it an executable file, given to TikTok in the United States. It's going to be running on Oracle servers, analyzing the data in Oracle servers, and then spitting back, you know, recommendations to, to uh, American users. Anyone else think that could be a problem? I do. That's point one. Uh, how do you really know what's in the black box of the recommendation engine, let's call it? The answer is you don't. How do you, is this thing going to be sending stuff back to China? Do you know that? Can you shut it down? They got back doors there. You don't know because it's a black box. And you'll never know because you're licensing it from China. Um, you can't go through the source code. You can't do the kind of audits that you want to do. So. Yeah, you're kind of stuck there. That's point one. Point two is, in the press release, they're saying that they're going to create 25,000 jobs in the United States. And I think that plan needs to be a lot tighter, right? Uh, over how many years? What's the transition plan? Um, are there still going to be Chinese employees, uh, engineers, namely, product people, namely, working in China? What is the timeline and the plan to transition over the servers, the data, the the engineering team, the product team, right? And and is that going to be fully out of China? Is that going to be, um, you know, uh, a mix over year one and two, and then year three, it's gone? Or, and and they, these have been my problems from the get go with this deal. You know, we can rewind the clock and the tape on this that I've just shuddered at the thought of this deal. Actually, went on Fox News. Uh, Fox Business and said the same thing on Maria Bartiromo show. This this deal just gives me the jitters. So, do I think this deal will get done with this Oracle thing? Um, I actually don't think it will. I actually don't think it's going to get done. Um, I've been skeptical on a deal working out for this for TikTok for I don't know since day one. The media has misreported on this every step of the way. On September fifteenth, Jim Cramer came out. And said, this, this is a done deal. Approved. 
Now we heard more recently from the president that um, that TikTok needs to be majority controlled by Oracle. Well, that's not currently the case. And we're waiting on China to approve this deal. The timeline has been extended another week. I, I just don't see a way to um, satisfy the concerns uh, around national security, around data, privacy, these kinds of things, and, and American ownership. You know, it's really a loophole to say our 40% American ByteDance investors uh, now equate to 52% ownership in in TikTok. If you just think about it from a governance standpoint and all these kinds of things, that's why they're trying to placate the governance issues with with four out of five board members are American. But, you know, there's just so many known unknowns. I don't think there's any way you can concretely, or even with not, not even 100% conviction, but even just a high degree of confidence, say that whatever you're licensing from China um, is not going to violate the concerns we had in the first place, right? Because you still have a backdoor, which is a main part of the app, the black box recommendation engine, which presumably is going to be licensed here. No one else has, has, has really definitively reported on how that's going to happen. But that is a uh, pretty big issue here, not to mention just the personnel and the transferring and all that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, I, uh, this thing is not a done deal by any means. And uh, who knows, China may put other clamps down on it. Doesn't even seem like Trump is totally sold on, <laughs> on the current construct of the deal. I don't know. There's just, there's so many moving parts and there's so many things that, that could come out. Um, in another week or a month as you get more fidelity. Again, this is just a super high-level plan, right? They had multiple bids. They were running a selling process. You're not really deep in the nuts and bolts of what's the technical process, right? So when CFIUS, the Committee on Foreign uh, Investment in the United States, when they were shutting down the, um, you know, the, the grinder sale to, to that Chinese company, um, they run an investigation. They do a lot of technical diligence uh, on that on that transaction, and and they delivered their report on that and struck down uh, the sale. Similarly, Cifius already ran a review on TikTok. I think last year we covered it on the show, um, which which was them reporting these national security concerns in the first place. So. You know, what is Cifius's role in all of this? Obviously, this has been driven by the White House, but I think when you get down to the nuts and bolts of of these kinds of technical concerns, there's going to be other stakeholders here uh, to ensure that uh, that these more technical matters are factored in, even if at a high level, the governance and ownership stuff gets signed off on. So this to me is, it's a fun news cycle item, so I put it at the, but, but the reason I put it at the end of the cycle is, just because, you know, in my mind, it, it's, it's kind of just a lot of noise. It's, the media loves to get up, worked up into a tizzy over it, but um, it's kind of much ado about nothing. In my mind, this thing's pretty much already done. It's a done deal in the sense that it's, it's going to be banned. Um, what is it, interesting, though, is that the WeChat ban was actually challenged in the courts and they got an extension on that um, to be banned off of the app stores. But once the judicial process plays itself out, I think um, the uh, you know the White House, the executive branch is full within its its uh, 
you know, it's powers that be to, um, to regulate, uh, you know, these foreign companies operating in the United States and, and that that ban on WeChat, that that's going through for sure. Um, the TikTok thing I think is also a done deal just in the other direction, but you know, we'll see if, uh, if either party, it's really a political back and forth at this point. Um, we'll see where they net out, but I think it's going to be a drawn out process. Probably not going to end nicely for, for, uh, for TikTok. <laughs> That's for sure. It's probably why you saw Kevin Mayer, uh, or Meyer leave, uh, um, now what was it? Maybe a month ago or so. The, uh, the former executive from Disney who was TikTok CEO and said, yeah, I'm out of here. I'm not dealing with this anymore. Uh, he could probably see the writing on the wall also. So that's it for us today on Winner Take All. Thank you very much for joining us. And I will talk to you later this week.